You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. So we're in week two of our Jesus Revealed series. And so Shauna launched it last week for us here at Orion. And essentially what this series is, it's us revealing the heart of God through stories of Jesus in the Bible. And so it's looking at these stories and how Jesus interacts with humanity and learning how we can see the heart of God through the way Jesus responds to certain situations, to certain stories, to certain people. And so last week, Shauna launched this, launched this series talking about God's power structure and how the power structure for the kingdom of heaven is so different than the power structure for you know, the empire in which we find ourselves in, in the world around us. You know, the world says you gotta climb the corporate ladder up, 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 more, 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 more success, get higher and higher and higher. But the power structure of God as it was revealed last week is that it's not ascending for power, but it's descending to serve. And that's the heart of God. The heart of God, you know, it says the son of man did not come to serve, but to, or not to be served, but to serve, right? And the way up with Jesus is down. The book of Philippians chapter three and chapter four talks all about that. And so we looked at the power structure that Jesus reveals that it's not about going up, it's about coming under and serving. It's not an empire's power over, but it's the kingdom of heaven's power under. And that's sort of the idea. And so this morning, we're gonna continue in our Jesus Revealed series, and we're gonna talk about something that's actually pretty heavy. It's a pretty heavy story. Um, We're gonna look at the woman caught in adultery. And so if you know anything about my personality and the content of that story, you might've just broken into a cold sweat. You're like, oh my gosh, what is he gonna say? What is gonna happen today? It's gonna be great, okay? It's gonna be fine. Everything's fine, it's gonna be fine. I did the nine o'clock and they let me back up here at the 11, so we're good, okay? All right, it's good. No, it's gonna be a good time. But listen, here's the deal. Um, I'm gonna pray before we jump in and then we're gonna look at Jesus' response to this story and how that reveals just such an intricate piece and part of the heart heart of God and how we can take that and grow from that, learn from that, and then apply it to our lives. So let's pray together, and then we're just gonna kind of jump right in. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for what you did last service and what we got to experience of your love and your grace and your compassion and your mercy. I thank you that we get to come into a place like this and have such talented and gifted individuals lead us in worship and an opportunity to sing songs of praise and adoration and ascribe so much worth to who you are. God, I thank you that we can open your word and allow it to speak truth to us. I pray this morning, even now, that you would begin to to soften our hearts and you'd open our minds, you'd quiet the noise of the world around us, quiet the noise of the stresses of our life, of our family, of our jobs, of everything that's going on, and you'd make us receptive to who you are. Make us receptive to hear what you have to speak to us today. God, I pray you'd remove me from the equation, but you'd use me as an effective mouthpiece for your truth. I pray this morning we would be encouraged, we'd be edified, and we'd leave this space together changed because of you. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Amen. Listen, before we move forward, I do want to take the time, we do this every gathering, is to just take the time and pause and thank you for your continued generosity to just honor those of you who have continued to partner with us on mission here at Kensington to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this generation. And it's just such a privilege that we get to be a part of this. And we're just so thankful for all of you who consistently give 
um, through your generosity. You know, the stuff that we're able to do here in the building, all those 5,000 announcements I just gave you of all the things that are happening around the church, our move out partners that are local and regional, our global partners all over the world, all of that's made possible because of your consistent giving because of your generosity, because of you answering the call to be on mission with us as we pursue Jesus. And so we just like to pause every service and say, thank you. Thank you so much for that. We honor you. And those of you who haven't yet and want to join us in that, we have a bunch of ways that you can do it that are super simple, super easy. You can text to, work, text, uh, to give, you can give on the app, you can give online at kensingtonchurch.org slash giving, or they're passing buckets right now if you're in person, or there are some drop boxes in the back if you wanna do the hands-free uh, giving as well. But we just wanna make it as easy as possible for you to jump on mission with us and partner with us through your generosity. So thank you guys, and let's keep doing it, man. It's, 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 it's awesome. We got all kinds of things happening, and we just thank you for that. Cool? Cool. All right, so let's continue to move forward. Now, normally when I speak, I start off by sharing a story about myself, and I share a story of my own personal dealings in life and how it connects with the passage we're gonna talk about and all that. But listen, this passage is so powerful, this story is so powerful that I just kinda wanna jump straight into it. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter eight. If you don't have a Bible, you can look it up on your phone. Uh, there's this app called the Bible app that's free and you can download it and they have Bible studies, they have book studies, they have reading plans, or you can literally just pull up verse and chapter, chapter and verse on your phone and look at the Bible at any time, and it's totally free. So go to the App Store, download the Bible app, so then you can always have your Bible with you, right? You don't have to carry around one of these things, okay? But even if you don't wanna do that right now, okay? I know it's the 11 o'clock, y'all are the sleep-in crowd. It'll be up on the, ver on the screen as well. But we're gonna be in John chapter eight, and we're starting in verse two. John chapter eight, starting in verse two, and we're gonna read through the story of the woman caught and adultery, and it goes like this. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. This is Jesus. Jesus was just hanging out with his disciples and things, and uh, he went to the Mount of Olives, and then early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So Jesus is teaching in the temple, and there's crowds gathered because they want to hear him teach. He's, you know, his reputation is building. He's the rabbi. He's doing healings and miracles and all these things, and so he's teaching in the temple, and all these people come to listen. Verse three. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. And so this can easily just be a story that we read. And if you've been in church or in kids' church or whatever, maybe you've heard this story before. But I think so often when we read stories like this, we don't recognize the humanity. We don't recognize the feelings, the emotions, the reality of this situation. 
And so what I wanna do is I wanna set a little bit of context and then I wanna walk through this story a couple more times from a couple of different perspectives. I wanna walk through this story from the perspective of the Pharisees and the scribes. I wanna walk through this story from the perspective of the woman who is the central main character of this story, but then I also wanna walk through it from the perspective of the crowds that are gathering. And so the first question is, why are the Pharisees and scribes trying to trap Jesus? Why are they doing this, constructing this whole sort of problem so that they can trap and attack Jesus? Well, the deal is this. The Pharisees and the scribes were sort of the upper escalon of, of society. And they've worked really hard to get there. And you know how they got there? By uh, guilting and shaming and condemning everyone else right? They were, look at how holy and righteous and upright morally we are, and you guys are not, and so we're going to make sure that you know you're not, and we're going to point out everything you're doing wrong so that we can elevate ourselves and keep you diminished. And so when Jesus shows up and he starts teaching the gospel, when he starts sharing his good news, things like, hey, come to me all who are weak and, and, and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my burden is light, my yoke is easy. When he starts saying things like this, that's an immediate threat to their whole society that they've constructed. That's an immediate threat to them saying, we're so holy, you're so not, you need to try to be more holy and we're gonna keep you in line until you do. Jesus comes in preaching this alternative message that, that, that totally undermines what they got going on. And so out of self-preservation, they're like, we gotta shut this guy down. We gotta stop him from teaching. We gotta stop him from preaching. And this is the, sort of the mentality and, and the work that ends up ultimately sending Jesus to the cross. There are these groups of people who are trying to keep their high status and Jesus is a threat to that. And so the Pharisees, their angle in all of this, the Pharisees and the scribes who are bringing this woman to Jesus, their angle in all of this is in hopes to discredit Jesus as a teacher. Because if they can discredit Jesus, hopefully his followers will stop following him or he'll slip up and make a mistake that can be punishable and then they can extinguish the little fire that's happening called Jesus. And so that's what this whole thing is about. Because if Jesus condemns this woman that they've brought to him, if Jesus condemns her, then what he's doing is he's losing favor with the common folk. He's losing favor with all the people that are oppressed by the Pharisees and the scribes saying, oh my gosh, what, Jesus is gonna just judge someone who's broken like I'm broken and messed up like I'm messed up and he's siding with the Pharisees, really? And so he'll lose all credibility with his people and the Pharisees know this and they're like, yes. So if he goes that route, cool, we got him. But then if Jesus doesn't condemn the woman, if Jesus pardons the woman, then he's disagreeing with Moses and the law, which is a really big deal. That's punishable, that, that ends up being heresy and heresy is treason and treason is punishable by death. And so like, we'll either make this guy super irrelevant where nobody wants to listen to him anymore, nobody wants to follow him anymore, or he'll take plan B and plan B is, yo, he's gonna end up dead. So either way, win-win. Pharisees and scribes think they got this thing kind of locked up. And so they're working together because they need witnesses of corroboration to make an official charge, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, it talks about how you need two witnesses to confirm a sin or to confirm a crime in order to press charges and make this a real thing. And so you got the Pharisees and the scribes working together. Also in Leviticus, it talks about how if someone is caught in adultery, that is punishable by death, death by stoning. And so this was common knowledge to everyone around. This is like, like uh, for instance, I don't know if you knew this, but when Jesus, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. When Jesus, this might be mind-blowing for some of you, when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't have the Bible. Pfft, did you guys know that? 
right? Like, like this, this, wasn't, this wasn't something that you could go down, you know, Zondervan hadn't been formed yet, you know? That happened like 300 AD. No, I'm kidding. But there was, no, there was no sort of Bible yet. What he had were the scriptures, and the scriptures that they had were the first five books of this Bible. So it was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was known as the Pentateuch, or it was known as the Torah, and so when they're at temple and they're reading, you know, the scrolls and the scriptures and things, right? This is, this is what they're looking at as their scriptures, as their, air quotes, Bible. And so in the Bible that they had, it said that you need two or three people to come together to confirm a crime and to press charges in, in, in Deuteronomy. It also said in Leviticus, you know, that if you are caught in the act of adultery, it's punishable by death, death by stoning. And so this is common knowledge. This is, this is God's word. This is the law of Moses, Right? This is the standard for which these things are happening. And so this woman is, air quotes, caught in adultery. I say air quotes because it's hard to imagine actually being caught in the act of adultery. Right? Like, it's unlikely that they're going to show up at the exact time that the adultery is happening. Do you see what, do you understand what I'm saying without saying it? trying to say it without saying it, okay? You know? It's unlikely that they would just be kind of hanging around and, and, and do that. So many biblical scholars believe that this is most likely a setup, that this is most likely a sting operation because they're trying to manufacture this situation so that they can bring it to Jesus because there's option A and there's option B. Both options are with the downturn of Jesus, so let's go for it. And so a lot of people think that it's a sting operation because only the woman is brought to Jesus, not the man which furthers the narrative that, yeah, this was probably a setup. This was probably some sort of sting operation. And so the Pharisees and the scribes probably set this whole thing up. It happens. They bust in. They're like, boom, gotcha, right? And they get her and they're like, yes, it worked. This is perfect. The scribes are here. The Pharisees are here. We can corroborate for this. It's all true. Let's go bring this to Jesus. And so they march her into the temple. And this is like, they are like cloud nine at this point, okay? I can imagine them walking into the temple like, Jesus, check this out. Check out what we found. Because they know what the word says. They know what the law says. They know that there's option A, he condemns her, sweet, we win. Option B, he pardons her, sweet, we win. And so they're in a very confident headspace at this point in the story where they've, they've set this thing up, they've got her, they nailed it. And so now they're gonna bring it in and, and, and it's all gonna fall apart and they're gonna walk away successful. So let's hit the pause button there. So that's where they are. Now, let's talk about the woman caught in adultery for a second, okay? So here she is, it's early in the morning and uh, she's in, you know, brown chicken, brown cow. That's brown chicken, brown cow, right? Brown chicken, wow, wow. Okay, picking up what I'm laying down. So that's all happening. My wife's like, please move forward, Sam. Don't say anything else, please. I can, I can feel her energy from over there. So this is happening. And all of a sudden, in bus, Chris Hansen and Dateline NBC, right? <laughs> Cameras blazing, lights on. Everybody's like, hey, what's going up? Boom, gotcha, right? This was a sing. This was a setup, the whole deal. And so they all come in and they bum rush the situation. Now, now here's the deal. Let me explain who the scribes are and who the Pharisees are. And how crazy it is for this woman to experience them busting into the bedroom in the middle of brown chicken, brown cow, right? The Pharisees are a religious and political party. 
okay? These are not the guys that are upholding the Torah and the laws of the Torah. Yeah, they're the religious elite, but they're not upholding scripture and the truth of scripture. What they are responsible for is upkeeping the religious tradition and the law. And so these are very rigid, legalistic type dudes. And they're the ones that are, that are holding up the religious tradition. They are the religious elite. They're the ones that are oppressing other people saying, well, you're not doing this. You're not doing that. You're not as holy as I am. And then you have the scribes. The scribes would be like a modern day lawyer. These are the experts of the law. These are the ones that can draft legal documents. These are the ones that can bring formal charges against somebody. So do you see how this is kind of coming together? They're thinking, man, we're gonna really nail this. We're really, really gonna get this to Jesus. And we got the traditional law. We got the, the law of, of the land and all this. The scribes, the, the, the Pharisees, they're all gonna come in and it's gonna be great. So they bust in and they take this lady away. Now, I am imagining that this is not a sweet, cordial invitation that they're making. They're not busting in Chris Hansen, Dateline from NBC and saying, okay, now would you like to put on your Sunday's best and do your hair and come on, let's kind of, let's get going. We're gonna go to the temple. Let's do some ritualistic cleansing and then we'll get there. No, 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 no. This is not the vibe of what's going down here. They're busting in, boom, gotcha, right? Let's go. And so they grab this lady and they are dragging her out. I would imagine that they're dragging her through the city and it's a violent type of spectacle because everybody knows who the Pharisees are. Everybody knows who the scribes are. And if they're dragging a woman who is probably mostly unclothed through the city with shame and guilt and fervency going, we're going to go straight to the temple and we're going to get her to Jesus. Everyone around would be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. They would know exactly what's going on. And essentially they'd grab a stone and start following. Because stoning was a very communal way of, of executing justice in that day. And so they'd probably grab a stone and start following, just like people who follow uh, fire trucks. Does anybody fire, follow fire trucks when they see them and they're like, yeah, okay, just my wife? I saw my wife shot her hand up. That might have been the only time she listened today. Fire trucks? Yeah, I'm in, right? Nobody else does that. They want to see houses on fire. My wife does. It's weird. Okay, yeah, a couple over here. Perfect. Love you, babe. Um, but that's sort of the scene that I envision here, okay? They bust in, Chris Hansen, they grab her, they take her, they're dragging her through the city. It's this violent spectacle and people are like, all right, let's go, it's going down. Kids, grab a stone, we're going. This is, this is gonna be a party, come on. I'm gonna show you how we do justice in these parts. And they start heading to the temple. They start walking to the temple. And so here we are with this woman. She gets to the temple and now the temple was a place that was very solemn. The temple was a place of ritual. I mean, you had to go through ritual cleansing and ritual ceremonies just to even enter into the premise of the temple. And so the temple was a place of ritual. The temple was a place of tradition. Very pompous and puff your chest and nose in the air. The temple was a place that was sacred. The temple was a place that you honored and revered and respected. There was reverence, there was worship, there was this holiness about the temple. If you were going to temple, it was like Sunday's best for sure, right? You were getting all fancied up and bringing your best to worship at the temple. And so that's the vibe. And then you have the Pharisees and the scribes dragging this woman through the streets, half naked, full of shame. And just imagine for just a second, because I think oftentimes we read stories like this and we don't step into the humanity of it. And this is how I love to read the Bible. And I hope when you read the Bible, you do this too, but you... I feel like oftentimes we don't step into the humanity of it. Imagine what that must have felt like for her. The humiliation, the fear, the angst, the anxiety, 
of being dragged through the street to the temple and then you arrive to the temple, this place that's so holy, so reverent, and then there she stands or probably doesn't even stand, probably laying in the, on the ground as people are jeering at her and spitting on her and getting ready to throw rocks at her until she doesn't breathe anymore. And can you imagine her laying there in her guilt, laying there in her shame, naked, flustered, afraid, alone. Can you imagine that? Imagine that scene. And then we pick up the story in John chapter eight, verse four, where it says, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, you know, that they, that they may have some charges to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote, in the, wrote his finger on the ground. Check this out. They bring her in. She's laying there in that moment. And then the Pharisees and the scribes say to Jesus, they say, Jesus, you know what the Bible says. You know what we're supposed to do here as they all have their stones in their hands and their kids and their cousins and their friends and everybody from the street has their stones in their hands and she's laying there helpless, broken, abused, afraid, alone, ready for those bones to come, those, those rocks to come and break her bones and she's laying there in, in, in agony. They say, Jesus, you know what the Bible says. You know what we're supposed to do about this. So what do you say? Can you imagine? In this moment, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're like high-fiving each other. We got him, nailed it, perfect. The mob mentality, this is great. It's working, exactly what we were hoping. Imagine what the woman's feeling, thinking that these may be her last moments on this planet. And this is how she's gonna go humiliated, alone. I think about the crowd that's sitting there, that's gathered. Like, see, this is why I said we should always go to church. This is awesome. We're about to see a real life stoning. It's gonna be intense. I mean, the tension is at a fever pitch. You could cut, you could cut it with a knife. It's so thick. And everybody's just waiting. What is Jesus gonna say? How is Jesus gonna respond? Remember, because the Pharisees are like, option A, he's toast. Option B, he's toast. Can't wait. What's he gonna do? And so then Jesus responds in verse seven. And he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I can just, <laughs> I can just imagine the feeling in that moment. I imagine that there was probably a 10 second pause from everybody. I imagine it being so crazy and yeah, get her up, much like the crucifixion mob mentality, right? Crucify him, crucify him. They're like, stoner, stoner, yeah, she deserves it. She's the worst, she's scum, let's get it. And they're like, shh, shh, shh. he's gonna answer, he's gonna answer. Shh, 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 shh. And then Jesus says, hey, listen, check it out. Those of you who are without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Uh, well, huh, right? Because the Pharisees gave him option A and option B and he went with option C that they didn't see coming. So can you imagine how they felt? Jesus totally flipped the script on them. They, they didn't see that coming at all. For the first time, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees and the scribes to look inward because they've spent their whole life and gathered all their success by being outward, 
by oppressing others and pointing out where others have their shortcomings and where others are not measuring up to the law, where others are screwing up, where others are not morally enough, where others are missing the mark and getting it wrong. And Jesus says, hey, stop looking at others and take a second and look at yourself. Boom. Mic drop moment for the Pharisees and the scribes. I bet they sat there like dumbfounded. Can you imagine the woman as Jesus finally spoke up, the chaos, people spitting at her, walking by and kicking her, having stones in their hands, pacing back and forth, ready to go. And she's laying there broken and abused and feeling the worst she's ever felt, knowing that this is the end of her life. And then it gets silent for a second. And Jesus says what he says. Can you imagine the feelings that she has, what she's going through? I can imagine her looking up with tears and dirt all over her face and experiencing for the first time ever a feeling of grace, a feeling of mercy, a feeling of compassion, of forgiveness. And I bet it was completely overwhelming for her. Can you imagine experiencing this for the first time ever? Because culture says this thing. The Bible says this thing. The religion says this thing. Everything says this thing. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way it's gonna go. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the mob of people, the crowd that are sitting there to hear Jesus teach, to hear Jesus lead them? And all of a sudden they hear Jesus saying, I desire mercy over judgment. What? That's, that's not what we do. That's not who we are. That's not what we believe. He says, I desire mercy over judgment. I desire compassion over shame. I desire forgiveness over guilt. You know, in our Bibles, it says, it titles this whole section, The Woman Caught in Adultery. But N.T. Wright, who's one of the greatest theologians of our time, he says, it, it would be better noted as the men caught in hypocrisy than the woman caught in adultery. Because that's the heart of the issue. That's what's happening here. And so, in verse nine, after this probably pause, this 10 seconds of like, whoa, we did not see that coming. Whoa, it says this. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground and says, but when they heard it, after Jesus spoke, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. After they all kind of sit there and they look inward, they hear the words that, are Jesus, that Jesus is saying, one by one, they begin to drop the stones that they're holding. Think about it. These big stones hitting the dirt, hitting the ground, one after another after another. With every stone that hit the ground, think about that, what that woman is feeling. Those stones that were gonna be hurled at her body are now hitting the ground and the accusers are walking away. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would feel like? What that would be like? It'd be like bombs going off. Bombs of freedom, bombs of grace, bombs of mercy. Bombs of a second chance. Bombs of love. Bombs of empathy. Can you imagine? Pff, pff, pff. 
sound of the stones hitting the ground in this moment was the sound of grace and mercy entering their hearts like it never had before. And it changed everything. And so only the woman is left there with Jesus. Can you imagine how overwhelming that must have been? The raw emotion. By this time, she's probably wailing and weeping, covered in dirt and spit, laying in the temple floor. And so Jesus then stood up and he said to her in verse 10, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And I imagine her just laying there, looking up through her hair and just a total tattered mess, looking up at Jesus and saying, no one, Lord, no one, nobody's here. And then Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you, go. And from now on, sin no more. That's a powerful story. That's a powerful story that shifts the entire paradigm of thinking for humanity at that point. Because everything said judgment, everything said condemnation. And Jesus shows up and he reveals compassion over condemnation. That wasn't the norm. Nobody was doing that. And Jesus says compassion over condemnation. Jesus reveals mercy over judgment. In this story, Jesus reveals mercy and compassion over hatred and hypocrisy. Jesus in that moment invites the Pharisees and the scribes. He invites the woman standing there. He even invites the crowds to begin a new life, to bring change, to shift their projection, to shift their trajectory, to shift their perspective to alter the trajectory of their life. He invites them on a new journey, a life of grace and compassion and mercy. And here's what's crazy, man. This is, the parallels are, are so insane. I mean, even with the whole stoning thing, how it's a communal act of justice. Everybody's throwing a rock, but nobody actually does the damage, right? Nobody knows who actually threw the fatal blow. It's this mob mentality that we can all rally around something in, in the name of justice and blah, 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 blah. But then when it comes time to call someone to the carpet, well, I mean, it wasn't me that did it. That was the mentality of the people here. And when the Pharisees and the scribes, man, when they bring this woman to the temple, what they're doing is they are dehumanizing her. They are objectifying her. They are making this a political issue. When the Pharisees and the scribes do this, they're making this a political thing. They're making this a statement, a stand. Where do you stand? Who do you stand for? The whole kind of deal. And Jesus cuts right through the junk. When they bring this to him, Jesus cuts right through the junk. He silences the talking heads and the news channels that are telling him what to think and how he should respond. He silences the social media posts and the Facebook junk that's coming at him, trying to inundate him with how he should think and how he should respond. He silences all the self-righteous jargon and Jesus sees the humanity. Jesus sees the person. Jesus sees the image bearer of God. And when he sees that, he invites everyone to see the world that way. He invites everyone to engage the world that way. He invites everyone to see themselves that way. There's a quote from a book that I've shared, I know here at Orient at least three times, and I'll probably share it five or six more times. 
because it was one of the most impactful things I've read on my faith journey. It's from a book called Repenting of Religion by Greg Boyd. I actually, I'm leading a Bible study or a book study on Thursday mornings with a bunch of the staff at all of our different uh, Kensington locations. We call it Theobrogens. See what I did there? Like it's a bunch of bros and we're studying theology. So it's like Theobrogens. I know, I think I'm really clever. It's just an insight into my head for a second. But we're going through this book and the main premise of the book is replacing judgment with love. Replacing the baseline of judgment with the baseline of love. And it is such a powerful read. And some of the discussions that we're having as dudes is just so, so healing and so powerful. And so I wanna show a quote from that book that I think speaks directly to this. And it says this. Christians sometimes try to assess how they or others are doing on the basis of such things as how successfully they conquer a particular sin, how much prayer and Bible study they do, or how regularly they attend or give to church and so forth. Like we try to measure ourselves in our Christianity and our fellowship of Jesus by all the things that we're doing. And it says, but rarely do we honestly ask the question that scripture places at the center of everything. Are we growing in our capacity to love all people? Do we have an increasing love for our sisters and brothers in Christ as well as for those whom Christ died who are yet outside of the church? And then here it is. This is, this is the meat of it right here. Are we increasing in our capacity to ascribe unsurpassable worth to people whom society judges to have no worth? Are we increasing in our capacity to ascribe unsurpassable worth to people whom society judges to have no worth? Everyone in this story deemed that woman to have no worth. But Jesus saw an image bearer of God. Jesus saw someone who had insurpassable worth. And he spoke life into that situation. So my question for us this morning, some of the challenge and takeaway for us is this. In what ways is God calling you and me to drop the stones? In what ways is God calling us to let go of the stones that we're holding on to so hard, so tightly? In what ways is he calling us to do that? In what ways is he calling us to choose grace, to choose mercy, to choose compassion over judgment and condemnation? In what ways is he calling us to do that? For some of us, it might be broad strokes. It might be big picture. Maybe for you, you're in here this morning and, and it's that God is inviting you to new life, just like he did for the Pharisees and the scribes and the crowd and the woman. Maybe he's inviting you to a new life where your perspective is compassion and grace and mercy. Maybe it's completely shifting your perspective, completely shifting your lens in which you see the world, in which you engage the world, in which you see yourself and engage with yourself. Maybe those are the stones you need to drop. Maybe for you, it is a little more specific. Maybe there's a specific person or a specific people group. And I'm not gonna give you ideas of who those people groups can be. Anybody who is the other. And maybe you're holding on to stones, ready to go to battle, ready to go to war. I'm gonna show them. Well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, and you got your stone ready to just get at them. Maybe this morning God's calling you to maybe, I don't know, 
Because we forget that the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that you can have all that stuff. But if you don't have love, what are you? You're a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. How many of us are walking around with the stone in our hand as a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal? Maybe this morning God's saying, hey man, Jesus revealed, yo, Maybe for you this morning, it's finding it in your heart and in your spirit to ascribe unsurpassable worth to all people. Even if they don't look like you, think like you, believe like you, vote like you, whatever. But seeing them through the eyes that God sees them as fully and wholly cherished and loved with unsurpassable worth. This is a powerful story. I think it reveals the heart of God to us. Jesus reveals that there's a better way to do this thing called life. There's a better way to engage with people. There's a better way to engage with ourselves. There's a better way to do this. And it's the way of love, grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, and finding insurmountable worth in others. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.